So this, this morning, we're in the fourth part of a series, an Easter series, and that series is called Simply Presence. And presence is one of the practices that we engage with at Christ City. It's one of eight practices in our list of eight, and it is the first one, Choose Presence. And in this series, we've been talking about what does it mean to interact in a post-resurrection world, so after Jesus has died and resurrected, what does it mean to interact with the presence of Christ? So we started that series on Easter, and we talked about just the terror and amazement that the female disciples who came to the tomb experienced, and the presence that they had to engage with to find something new to see reality for what it was, not for what they expected it to be. And from there, we moved on where uh, a couple of weeks ago, Robert Grisham preached on skepticism and, and the passage with Doubting Thomas and that there are benefits to skepticism, but there are also limitations to skepticism. And last week, Diane led us through uh, what does it mean for presence to move into communion with God. And this morning, here in the lectionary passage, we have a passage about many things, but what we're going to zoom in on is, is this idea of abiding, to be present with. And the writing here in 1 John that deals with this idea of God abiding in us and us in God. And so, uh, as I was thinking about this passage, it reminded me of different situations. It reminded me of places where I am in the same room as somebody else, but at some point, I really cease to be with them. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm about to throw an age group under the bus for a minute here, but uh, I can remember uh, having uh, a meal, a lunch, with uh, a 25-year-old. It's nobody in here. Probably nobody online either. I don't know, though. Uh, And and we were having lunch, and a third 25-ish-year-old joined us. Okay, So we're sitting there talking, and then then a third person comes who's also in that, that age range. And it happened, it was just like all of the sudden, I wasn't in the conversation anymore. It was just them going back and forth. I became completely invisible to them. And so while I was physically present there with those two other people, uh, they were completely unaware of anything that I had to bring to the conversation. You ever been in a moment like that where all of a sudden you are in this conversation and now you're not? And the only thing that's changed is other people's attention. Everybody's been in that situation. Yeah, we all have. So I was thinking about that, and I was was also thinking about uh, the cold shoulder. You ever ever gotten the cold shoulder from somebody or given the cold shoulder? Some of you out there are experts at giving the cold shoulder. It's it's a way to, to show somebody you are displeased with their behavior without having to engage them at all without having to let them know. This is a, a, a well-honed strategy 
within marriages and long-term relationships, whether it be roommates or romantic relationships, where you're upset with the person, maybe your feelings have been hurt, probably your feelings have been hurt, and instead of talking to them about it, you just, you just give them more of that shoulder right there, and you stop engaging with them. And so you make them, you try to get them to go into a mode of guessing about uh, what might be wrong and, and what they've done to offend you. And so even though you're physically present with that person, uh, there's no relationship, there's no connection, there's no experience that you're sharing together. Now, uh, this can get really bad if both people are the type of person that do the cold shoulder. Like you could end up just splitting the house in half and having two different lives going on for, for quite a while. If you're experiencing that, you could come talk to me. Come talk to me. We could, we could talk about that. Uh, <laughs> what about this? Uh, have you ever been talking with a friend and you have a mutual friend with that friend, right? So friend A is in front of you and you're talking about friend B. And friend A says, uh, man, that person is so warm and inviting and they're so fun and all this kind of stuff. And you're thinking, that's not my experience with friend B. And, and sometimes, sometimes the reason is, is because of you. It's because of your inability to be present with that person, maybe the way that friend A could be. So here's what I'm getting at when I deliver these sort of scenarios that we're all familiar with, is we have a choice. We have a choice in relationships that when we start to get big feelings or feelings we don't want to experience, strong feelings, we have a choice whether we're going to show up in that arena of relationship or not. Are we going to show up or are we going to leave like, like we're floating out of our bodies? So even though we're present in the room in those relationships, we're present in the situation, what we notice and experience fundamentally changes. And that brings us back to this word abide. Abide means to remain present with, to continue to be with. And that's the word here in this passage that the writer is saying we have an opportunity to choose with God, with the Spirit of Christ. So let's go back to this verse. Verse 23 says this, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And another translation that is a little bit more literal uh, from the Greek to the English, the NASB says it this way in verse 24. The one who keeps his commands abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So that word translated love in the NIV and abide in the NASB 
is a Greek word that is uh, pronounced mino. And it means, as I've said, to continue to be present with. So the interesting thing here, and the thing that some of us might bristle against, is this line here that says, uh, to the one who keeps God's commands, he abides in that person, right? right? And, and, and a lot of us, we grew up in an environment where obedience, obedience to God was used as a weapon to kind of corral and to, uh, to kind of uh, shame us into not doing a lot of things. And so when we hear that word obey, and, and let's just be frank, when Americans hear that word obey, we tend to bristle a lot of times. Not everybody, but a lot of us. We, we translate that in our mind as don't have fun, uh, do right things in order to earn approval, that God will only accept you if you fall into all of these cultural norms. But when we look closely at this whole passage in the context, we see that the writer is talking about a very specific thing to obey. He says it over and over in this book. He's saying that it is to love and to love that the way Christ did, that Christ laid down his life for us and you should lay down your life for one another. And then he anticipates that we would say, well, what are you saying we should, you know, try to find a bullet to jump in front of or what what should we do here? He says, no, uh, in verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So the, the love here that is the obedience the writer is talking about is a specific kind of action. It's a sacrificial generosity. So in our world, it's, it's not as simple as if we just happen to come across somebody in need and we're moved inside of us. We're aware at any given time of any number of huge and small needs in our community. And so we're going to have to unpack what that looks like a little bit in a moment. Right now, I just want to talk about this idea of obedience and then getting to have God be present with you because you obey. So, again, that translation in our minds can sound very transactional, a transactional theology. You give God this, God will give you his salvation or his presence. We think about the works-based theologies and all of these types of things where you can somehow earn your way into heaven and things like that. But I want to draw your attention to this passage is not talking about sin. This passage is talking about presence, to be aware of God's presence with you and your presence with God. And so when I read this passage, it makes me think more that this writer is drawing our attention to the deeper truths of this thing called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the place where the way all things work out really show their true purpose and true depth. That just like we understand gravity to be a law, that things come up and things come down if they go up, 
I know Brandon's thinking about all the ways I said that wrong right now. Or the laws of thermodynamics that the writer is thinking about love in that way. That when we sacrificially give generously of ourselves, that inherent in that action, his presence is the presence of the living God. And that's something that I can really get excited about. So let me try to say that in a, in a different way. That when you meet a person's need, that God is very near to you, whether you're aware of it or not. That the presence of God, that the presence of Christ is right there beside you. Or as some of the old folks say, I'm friends with Jesus. In fact, he's just in the other room right now. And uh, this, this appears in different ways throughout the book of 1 John. In chapter 4, verses 12, it says this of God. It says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And again, he reminds us, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So it seems to be a greater principle, a greater truth about the way the world actually works. That no matter if we are aware of it or not, just like somebody can be kind and generous and and attentive to us and we can be completely unaware of it, the same thing can be true of the presence of God in our lives. That we can be acting in a way that is consistent and coherent with the presence, the abiding of God but we may be unaware. There are several implications I'd like to talk about about this idea. If you were to believe this idea and what types of things this idea can bring up. The first is what I really just said. I'm going to name them off real quick here. So first, you could pass up the presence of God unknowingly. And I think that we probably all do. I know I do. The second is that the presence abiding with God and God abiding with us is more than something that we can do by ourselves. That it requires relationship with other people. And that the third thing is that it can cause us to have reactions or responses to our lives. So we're going to unpack that. We can either react to this type of thought or we can respond to it. And that the last thing, fourth, is that that means the presence of God, if the writer is correct here in these scriptures, the presence of God lives, exists, abides outside of the bounds that we would ever put God in. Outside of, outside of this. This little thing I'm in here. It was my idea. I'm not, I'm not bucking against the system here. So, yeah, <laughs> it is cool. So, so um, here's the thing. The writer in verse 17 says, if you see somebody who's in need, but you have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? But here's what I know is true. 
when I get confronted with needs, I can get overwhelmed. I can get overwhelmed. I can get afraid. I can get scared. I can, my mind can be filled with all of the thoughts of all the philosophies and politics of how I'm supposed to act or not act when I see somebody in distress or in need. And that can take me away from the response I might have that might bring me into a realization and understanding of the presence of God with me. Might be world hunger that does that to you. Might be homelessness, panhandlers. I don't know. So that's the first thing. That's the first observation there. The first implication there is that when we are in those moments and we get overwhelmed, we might be missing an opportunity to choose being present in the moment and thus miss that God was right in the room with us. The second, according to this passage, God abides with us when we love one another in this generous sacrificial way, which means that if you have been taught or if you have come to believe or understand that you will find the presence of God only when you are alone by yourself and that you can have some kind of rich presence and communion with God outside of a generous and sacrificial life, you might be continuously and perpetually disappointed. Because we see it's not just here, it's in the totality of Scripture. Think about even the prophets like Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That again, those actions are tied to the presence and abiding of God. So the third thing here, that when we are faced with these kinds of situations in which people are in need and we start to feel things, we can respond in two different ways. We can, we can have a reaction or a response. So let me tell you what I mean by that. When we react to something, it's not thinking. It's sort of the automatic. It's the, the rage. It's the paralyzation. It's the fight or flight type of thing. And we might not be able to control that as an initial reaction, but we can certainly find presence on the other side of that. So the, that's the first way that we react. We get overwhelmed. We get paralyzed. We feel guilty. We rage. We do these things. And at the end of the day, we leave the room. We leave the conversation. We come up with reasons or excuses to just continue doing what we do because it's all just too much. The second way that we react, and this is specific, I think, to a lot of, uh, of Christians, is that we say, well, when I encounter these types of scenarios where someone needs my generosity, I'm going to wait to see if I feel a spontaneous movement of God within me. And if I do, then I'll act. And if I don't, then I won't. So um, I want to ask you this. Is that the way that you respond to somebody's birthday coming up that you love? Well, if the Spirit of God comes upon me 
then I'll plan something for their birthday or I'll go buy a gift. Try doing that, Jay, when you and Kelly are married for your first anniversary. Say, hey, I don't plan on uh, making a plan for our anniversary, but I'm going to be open to if the Spirit of God moves me to do something and I'll only act if and when that occurs. We all know how that would turn out, don't we? (laughs) You better be praying hard, brother, (laughs) that that happens. But somehow, somehow in our culture, maybe this isn't you, but for a lot of us, that's what we've been taught about how we're supposed to give and be generous and sacrificial with our time and our presence, is that we're waiting to sort of be struck by a lightning bolt where everything becomes clear and simple and we just know that it's time to act. Now, I'm not saying that those times can't occur. In fact, I've experienced those things myself, but it certainly isn't what I'm waiting on to experience the presence of God or to be obedient in the way that I want to live and act in a sacrificial way. So, reaction is one response. But how do we respond? Because a response requires planning, like what we would do in those examples that I just gave. So, here's what we can do. We can plan in advance. We can notice the things that are important about loving and giving sacrificially to show love, and we can make a plan in advance. We can uh, think about the clothes that we buy, and are they ethical? We can um, keep spare change in our wallets and granola bars and waters in our glove boxes to give to people. We can budget our money and our accounts and set aside money that we know we've planned in advance to be to help those that are less fortunate. We can support organizations and ministries as well. I'll tell you one way that I learned this lesson. I was in my first year of marriage to my lovely wife. We're about to celebrate 10 10 years this year. We were talking about that last night. And we got married, and her birthday is two days after Valentine's Day. You already know where this story's going, probably. I had a plan for Valentine's Day, but I didn't have a plan for the birthday. And I think as the end of February 15th was coming upon me, I said, well, I got her flowers and a card and chocolates and stuff, and, you know, that kind of, you know, it kind of works for both. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work for both. And so I found myself learning a valuable lesson about planning and the importance of it when it concerns love. And so here's what I want you to hear if you don't hear anything else this morning. That the type of love that's talked about in this scripture and in the passages is not a love that you have to wait for to come on you spontaneously. It's the type of love that is accompanied by the presence, the, the, the remaining with you of God through planning and preparation. Just as you plan where you want to go to college, 
how you'll propose, if you're gonna buy a new car, what you wanna be doing in a career or making in five years, you can plan how you're going to live generously in anticipation of becoming aware of the presence of God. This doesn't make you less spiritual. It makes you more spiritual to plan like this. Jesus had a plan when he sent his disciples out two by two in Luke 10. I got verses for days here of all the plans he gave them. He said like, okay, um, I've got you two by two here. Uh, The harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Here's how we're going to do this thing. You're going to be like lambs among wolves. I don't want you to take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace be to this house. If someone promotes peace there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever you give, for the workers deserve their wages, and so on and so forth. The plan just keeps going. So the very first time that Jesus sends out these 72 disciples, there's a clear plan in place of how to love, of how to bring the gospel and that self-sacrificial, generous love to people. Here's some of the, uh, the things that, that we've done at Christ City. In our Mercy and Justice team, we've had mornings where we plan uh, snack bags for people experiencing homelessness, where we put those together. We heard from a previously uh, homeless person, and we uh, all left with bags of goodies to be able to give people with and, and socks and hand sanitizer and food and gum and, and all these different things so that we would all have a plan to show love in that way. Right now, We're working on our partnership with the organization called MICA. It's a plan we're putting into place to be a proactive part of the abiding presence of God in people's lives through sacrificial giving. You are a part of that and can be a part of that with your finances and your time. Fill out a connect card. Tell us you want to be a part of that Mercy and Justice team, that missions team, and get involved if you want to plan love. That's what the work of our elders do uh, in our meetings so often. We plan how we can generously love. This doesn't end at church. It moves into your personal life as well, just like some of the things that I already mentioned. Here's the deal. When we react, what we're trying to do is leave a moment that's really uncomfortable. But one of the things that make, can make the difference in how uncomfortable those feelings are when we're faced with needs is a plan, is a response, is if we believed, here, here's, here's a question, let me state this as a question. How would you plan your life differently if on most days, you believed that your generosity put you in the position to be abiding with God and God with you. That when you found yourself planning to give sacrificially of your time, your finances, your resources, the way you spend your money, your convenience, that you could be putting yourself into the position to become more aware of the presence of God and God's presence with you. This is a different kind of prayer, right? I want to tell you a couple of stories. 
uh, the first story, I told the staff this last Tuesday. I was in the car uh, a, a week ago from Saturday. Malia was with me, my five-year-old daughter, in the car seat in the back. And we drove, we're driving down Holmes, the road Holmes. And uh, I looked where there was a side street off, and there was this car, and it was parked in the middle of the side street, like facing the, the wrong way. Instead of facing like it would go in or out, it was just like blocking off half of the road. And as I got closer, I saw there was a woman in the driver's seat, and I saw that there was a man with his shirt off hanging into, hanging into the driver's seat. And as, as I was driving by, I'm like, that just didn't look right. And my first reaction is, I don't want to get involved in that. And I thought about it for a moment, and I thought about my past experiences, and I said, no, I'm equipped to deal with this. And I did not feel a lightning bolt from God. I did not feel an unction from the Spirit, but I did feel present. I felt like I knew that I was afraid. I knew that I was angry. I knew that I was thinking about my daughter in the back seat. And I also knew that this question was rising up in me. What will happen to me or my family if I interact here, if I engage in this moment. And I also remembered the words of Martin Luther King Jr. as he, uh, as he talked about and taught on the passage of the Good Samaritan, in which he said that the Good Samaritan didn't ask the question that the other three people who walked by had asked. Their question was, what will happen to me if I stop? While the Good Samaritan's question was, what will happen to him if I don't stop? So I drove around, and I parked my truck, so just angled it just perfectly so I could speak out uh, to, the, to, the, to the two people there. And at this point, he was like sitting kind of in the, in the side of the driver's seat. And I said, are you okay, ma'am? And he said, yeah, we're all right. And I said, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to her. And he jumped up out of the car to re react to me, and she drove away. And he continued to say a bunch of nonsense. And at that point, I realized, you know, this is, it's over, everything, it's all good. Um, some of the things he said actually uh, haunt, haunted me for a little while afterwards um, because uh, he was saying, you know, things like, why, why, do, why don't you ask if I'm okay? And I know he was kind of just like raging and, and, and that kind of thing, but at the same time, I actually could detect quite a lot of hurt in, in what he had to say. And the reason why I share that story with you is because, not because I act generously or heroically all the time in my life, but there, that's an example of what it can look like to be present in a moment where you know you have to give generously and potentially sacrificially. And why I bring that up is because I didn't feel anything super special in that moment. I didn't feel some uh, hand of God on me, but I did feel present. I did feel like those feelings that were overwhelming, 
that I'd had enough experience and enough times of engaging in difficult situations, of not running away when people needed things, that I had some clarity in my spirit and I did not feel alone. Abiding with God, presence with God, God in me and he in I. I'll tell you one more story. It's a short one. It happened this morning. Doorbell was ringing. A young man was at the door who I've had uh, a, a lot of interactions with over the past few years. He's without a home right now. And he asked me if he could sleep in my garage, which I have a studio in, until I just uh, gutted it and changed it. And he asked if I could sleep, if he could sleep there. And I said, no, you can't right now. I don't have a place for you to sleep. And I wanted to, I wanted to say something to promise him more or to um, uh, offer him something else that he wasn't asking for. And I didn't. I just said, um, if you come by this afternoon, we can talk more, but I don't have time right now to talk. So if you want to come by this afternoon, we can talk more. And the reason why I share that story after the other one is because presence and generosity look like sometimes having a plan, not responding or reacting, I should say, just out of the immediate guilt or fear or whatever it is that might well up in you in that moment. It's not that I will not have another chance in an hour, in a week, in a day to respond to the needs around me. So the last, uh, the last of, these, of these four things uh, here that we talked about, these implications to God's abiding presence when we give sacrificially, uh, is the presence of God in those outside of the bounds, outside of the faith. If, if what the writer is saying here is true, I think that means... I think that means that anyone giving in that way is close to the presence of God, might become aware at any moment of the presence of God. It reminds me of some of the scriptures in the Gospels where Jesus says in Luke 9:50, when the disciples said, hey, there's this dude, he's like casting out demons, but he's not with us. He said, Jesus said to him, do not hinder him for he who is not against you is for you. I already mentioned Micah 6, 8, to love justice or to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The scripture um, elsewhere in the book of Luke, there's this teacher and he asks Jesus, what, what's, the, what's the commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to love God and to love your neighbor. And, and the teacher responds, and says, you're right to say that, to love God with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So this could be scary because boundaries are important to human beings. 
Boundaries help us make sense of things, where things begin and where things end. And, and I understand where you might be in your faith journey. It could be more or less scary or even not even feel like it matters to you at all. You could be anywhere on that spectrum. But for those of us who seem convinced, who seem like they want to be able to encounter this abiding presence with the Spirit of God, it could be very exciting. Because in this passage it says, not to love with word, with words, but to love with truth and action. And I think that gives us an opportunity to name and to call out the truth of the actions of generosity and self-sacrifice. That, that we are so close that he might be right in the other room when we act in this way. And that's the kind of gospel that can give this world a lot of hope. So, uh, in uh, wrapping, wrapping this all up uh, this morning, there, there are a lot of ways that we can give, and I haven't answered, I know, all the questions, even in this passage, or maybe even in your heart right now, dealing with these topics, but the conversation has just begun. Here's, here's what I want to leave you with. We know the difference. We know the difference when we act out of being overwhelmed, out of being scared, out of feeling guilt for something. We know the difference between that and when we give out of presence, of clarity, of groundedness within us. Cultivating that, I think, I, I could be wrong, but it's hard for me to even say that because I've felt it so clearly so many times over the years that when we can be present, we can feel our fear, we can feel our, our shame, and we can still plan to give generously and sacrificially. We can still, even in the spontaneous moments when we don't have time to plan, we can make a response that we can find ourselves abiding and God abiding with us. So let's go ahead and pray together and Stacey can come up for communion. Lord, I thank you that you are near to us, that you are just over there, that you are right behind us and beside us, that you are waiting to meet us in the moments that we encounter other people and they need help, they need love, they need our sacrificial generosity. Pray that you would make Christ City and believers everywhere and those who do not yet know that they believe everywhere more aware of the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen.